you're listening to The Maniculum, pointing the finger at the Middle Ages. We bring you the choicest medieval nonsense, discuss and evaluate it, then pillage it for our own geeky purposes. All right, recording. Okay, welcome back to another episode of Perlis Vows. More manslaughter and girl bossing. What can I say? Classics. <laughs> For those of you who are new here, Perlis Vals is a 13th century Arthurian romance that we're going through bit by bit. We're past the halfway point, so if this is your first episode, why is this your first episode? Listen to a different episode first. I mean, or just jump in on this one. You'll get some whiplash. You might even be decapitated, which is very in character for this text. But yeah. Listen to this. Go back and, and listen to the first one. We have summaries on the blog, so if you haven't seen the summary, go check the summary. Fair enough. Yeah, we're not your mom. You can start with this one if you want. Yeah, you know, whatever you want to do. Also, before we get into it, the rundown of the show, essentially, is we pick a medieval text. This time it's Perlis Faust, because like Max said, we are chipping through it bit by bit. We go through it, we contextualize it for you all, and then we poke fun at it and splice it apart for world building and storytelling. So whether you are a game writer in video games, a DM, or just someone who likes to write and enjoy stories and history, or if you're an academic, we'll give you all the articles you need to write a fantastic paper about the atrocious headcount in Perlis Faust, for instance. Anyway, we have all of that stuff on the blog, so please check out the blog. We also have... Um, I guess I mean, we've got we've got all the stuff. We have all the socials. We've got Instagram, Twitter. We've got Facebook. We've got a Discord. Come check us out on Discord. We've got a website. We've got a Patreon. So if you feel like supporting the show, then please do. It goes right back into our production value, which continues to get slightly higher every time. We are seasoned professionals. Yes, definitely. <laughs> hey, you just had a paper at Kalamazoo. I did just have Seasoned a professional. Not everybody gets to do that. This is going to go out a couple months after the fact. But yes, this morning I presented a paper at Kalamazoo. Yay! This is Kalamazoo times when we're recording this. Yes. Which if you're uh, unfamiliar with Kalamazoo, it is basically the biggest. Is that correct? The biggest medieval conference? As far as I know, I think Leeds is in competition with it. That's right. Yeah. So that's, that's a pretty big It's also big deal. a city in Michigan. Yes. But- True. It's a fun word, Kalamazoo. Yes. Anyway, back to Perlis Vouse. Back to Perlis Vouse. Previously on Perlis Vouse. It is revealed to Arthur's court that Sir Kay is responsible for the death of Arthur's son, Loholt. Arthur takes Gowan and Lancelot on a pilgrimage. We meet the Lady of the Castle of the Beards, doing a very strange penance that involves collecting body parts. Lancelot returns to get his head chopped off, but is given a reprieve because he helped the sisters of the poor knight previously, and apparently they are in charge of this. Arthur and Gawain go to a tournament, where they meet the ladies of the pavilion once again. Gawain is forced to disgrace himself at the tournament. We suddenly discover that Queen Guinevere has died off stage. We learn that Percival's sister Dindrain is about to be forced into marriage, and she must be rescued. Okay, so, Branch 24. Meliant, the son of the Knight of the Waste Manor, whom we were briefly introduced to as, quote, a boy, unquote, a few chapters ago, has not forgotten that he owes vengeance to Lancelot. Is this the Lion Kid? 
No, that's... Because he died, right? Confusingly, that's Melio. Oh, great. Okay. Yes, of course. Shame on me for getting them confused. No, this is a new character, Meliant. Meliant. Okay. Early in the text, the fir- I think the- it was the first time Lancelot was mentioned, was that like off stage he killed the Knight of the Waste Manor. And then a couple chapters ago, we were reminded of that and introduced to the wife and child of the Knight of the Waste Manor. And the wife was like, you'll get yours. And there was a child there. And now all of a sudden the child is now grown. Yes, because time means nothing in this story whatsoever. We, again, once again, to remind our listeners in case they've forgotten, we are technically in the first century AD or CE and For some reason, we have all the chivalric knights, we have all of King Arthur, we've got 12th, you know, century tropes and customs going on here, but it's all in the first century. Yes, this is officially set in the first century, except for all the ways in which it is not. Yes. But anyway, this kid Meliant, he joins the court of Brienne of the Isles, who you may recall makes war upon Arthur. That's right. And is knighted there. He becomes, quote, the fairest and most noble knight of his age at Brienne's court, but still wishes to find Lancelot. However, nobody knows where Lancelot is, and many believe him dead. We now segue into what Lancelot is currently doing, which is riding through the woods feeling sorrowful over Guinevere, whom you may recall, also died offstage. That's right! She did die. And Lancelot couldn't get into some place because he wasn't pure enough, right? He couldn't see the grail or something. Yes, way back when, he couldn't see the grail because his love for Guinevere made his soul impure. Well, now she's dead. It's come to nothing, I don't know if that helps. It's come to nothing. (laughs) Just like that priest told you it would. (laughs) Oof. Lancelot encounters a cheerful knight and maiden talking about good lodging nearby. He asks for directions, they are provided, and he goes. After he leaves, the maiden reveals to the knight that she recognizes Lancelot and bears him a grudge. Oh no. She is the ex-girlfriend of the knight that he forced into marriage several chapters before. Our author really likes this plotline. Yes, we keep coming back to it. Like Again, to recap, Lancelot basically forced a knight to marry a maiden because he had been leading her on and got her to like leave her family over him and then didn't want to marry her. And Lancelot forced the issue at sword point. So he had to marry her. And then his actual lover... Now X yes. bears Lancelot a grudge. Yes. And meanwhile, the two of them who, who were forced to be married are in a predictably loveless marriage. Yes. It's very shameful, actually. It's very sad. Yeah, it was, it's a whole... It's a bad idea all around. All around. All, all of these were bad decisions. Anyway, Lancelot comes to the place to which he was directed, which is called, quote, a grim and forbidding place. And it is named the Castle of the Griffins. Ooh, good name. The heads of 15 knights hang over the gate. Less good. Less good. Lancelot sees another knight passing and asks about this castle and the heads and gets the following uh, explanation, which I will read. Sire, the daughter of the lord of this castle is the most beautiful maiden of any kingdom, and any knight who lodges here has to seek her hand in marriage. There is a spear fixed in one of the pillars in the hall, and he who succeeds in pulling it out will win her by right judgment. All those whose heads you see hanging at the gate were put to the test, but none of them could pull out the spear, and so they were beheaded. 
Well, does she have any say in this? I, I mean, I'm, I'm bringing this up far too early, but I feel like requiring a guy to demand a woman's hand in marriage or else die is already not good. It's extra not good that she likely doesn't have a say in this. Although I would be yes. very interested to see if she's doing the one beheading. She's likely not, but it would be interesting. We will see. She does. We do get some. Uh, she she has some words to say. Oh, okay, good. We we love women with agency on this on this podcast. Yes, we do. The night continues. Now it is said that no one will be able to draw it out unless he be a much finer knight than the others, and he must be one of those who have been to the Grail. But if by me you will be advised, fair sire, you will go someplace other than here, for it does no good to take lodging in a place where you must risk your body and soul, and no one should be reproached for honorably avoiding harm. This castle, sire, is evil indeed and full of danger, for underground, at the entrance to a dungeon, there are two griffins and a lion who have devoured more than forty knights. So we've got beheadings, we've also got griffins and a lion? Yes, two griffins and a lion. All right. Lancelot does not turn away. Of course he does Predictably. Yes. Explaining that it's getting late and he needs to stay somewhere. Yes. He goes in, sees knights and maidens playing chess and backgammon. A detail I just had to include that they're playing backgammon. It's an old game. I always forget that because it has such a silly name. Very true. I think we're used to hearing chess, but backgammon is kind of out there. Yeah. It sounds like bridge, which I always associate with, like, Early 1900s forward. Yeah, or pinnacle. Oh, ooh, that's a word. Yes, I have no idea how to play it, and I'm not even sure I know how to pronounce it because it's spelled all funny. Fair enough. Probably French. It might be French. <laughs> if I can't say it, it's... It's, it's likely French. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of things I can't say, but I extra can't say French. Fair enough. It's, uh, and he is greeted by the Lord. He changes out of his armor and has dinner, and we get an aside that the Lord's daughter is checking him out, and thinking it's a shame that so handsome a knight is going to be slain. As is part of the cultural agreement of this place. Yeah. Apparently. Well, so far every knight who's come here has been forced to do the challenge, and if they fail the challenge, they die, and so there's no reason to think this one's going to be any different. But we know that he's a protagonist, so... So he has to live! How will Lancelot get out of this one? We'll find out. Indeed. After dinner, the maiden from the forest, the ex, comes in and informs the lord that Lancelot is responsible for the death of the knight of the Waste Manor, who was this lord's brother. Enraged, the lord demands that Lancelot immediately try to win his daughter's hand by pulling the spear from the pillar so he can kill him already. You b Ask my daughter to marry you! Well, you can't violate the laws of hospitality and just kill him, but he does have the custom of the castle. And so he's just like, all right, the custom of this castle involves me killing you, so let's just go hurry up and do that. Work with what you got. However, Lancelot succeeds in pulling the spear from the pillar. Of course but he does. But the lord, on the, of course he does. On the advice of the ex, we should give her a name. It's a good name for, for her. I'm trying to think of something that starts with X. Yeah, that's where I'm stuck. I'm trying to think of something that starts with X. How about, and I'll, okay, we, how about Alexandria? This is Alexandria. All right, Alexandria it is. So, on Alexandria's advice, the Lord refuses to give his daughter's hand to someone who should be her mortal enemy. Later that night, he summons men to ambush Lancelot as he leaves in the morning. So, like, he still can't kill him. And he's like, all right, you did the challenge, but you can't have my daughter's hand in marriage because I hate you. So... But you still get a good night's sleep because laws of hospitality. But I'm going to organize for some people to wait outside the castle and jump you in the morning. 
laws of chivalry are weird that way. Yeah. It's really weird. Although I, I think technically he might have broken something when he's refused to offer his hand, his daughter's hand in marriage to Lancelot, because that is the custom of the castle, and you're supposed to follow the customs. Okay, but, but it's, it's got a competing custom of you can't give your daughter's hand in marriage to somebody that you, you're sworn to hate. Could be. So, like, how, how, how do you reconcile? How do you reconcile opposing customs? Murder, apparently. I feel like that has wider historical implications that I did not mean to touch on. (laughs) Anyway, luckily for Lancelot, the daughter has decided she is into him, and she sends him the following via a messenger. Sire, your strength will be little worth against my lord, for he is going to have twelve fully armed knights waiting with him at the gate, through which you entered last night. He says he will cut your head off just as he beheaded the others. And there will be twelve more beyond the gate, likewise fully armed. There is no knight in the world so fine that he could break out of this castle against twenty-four knights, but she sends you word that there is a passage beneath the castle, which leads underground into the forest, and a fully armed knight could very well go that way. But there is a lion there, the fiercest and most terrible in the world, and two serpents called griffins. Interesting. I guess they are draconic in a way. I guess? I thought that was a bit of a stretch, too, to call them serpents. We'll come back to that one. They have the faces of men, the beaks of birds, the eyes of screech owls, the teeth of dogs, the ears of mules, the feet of lions, and the tails of serpents. And they have bred young down there. Never have such cruel beasts ever been seen. But my damsel bids you go that way by whatever you hold most dear. And she begs you not fail her. For she would speak with you at the exit of the passage in an orchard near a river not far from the castle. Because apparently she can get out. Yeah, well, there are knights waiting for, for her. I guess. And she will have your house led after you over land. If you do not do so, she will care no more for Wait. you. It does That's say. That's a typo. Oh, okay. I was I was a little That's bit confused about that. Horse. Oh, your You'll horse. Have your horse led after you. <laughs> I was like, is this a metaphor for a shield or something? Okay. Uh, let me redo that. And she will I have your horse led after you over land. If you do not do so, she will care no more for you. She begs this of you only for fear of your death. And here is the dog she sends you by me that you are to take with you into the passage. As soon as you see the griffins that have bred down there, show the dog to them and set him before them. For the griffins love him as much as beasts can love another. And they will be so delighted and engrossed in their joy and so grateful to you that they will not think of doing you any harm. But there is no man, however strong, who would not be killed and devoured if he tried to pass without the dog. But against the lion you could have no protection save from God and your own courage. So that's the plan. Talk about a walkthrough. Yes. I think it's interesting that the way to get past the Griffins is they have a dog friend, and all you have to do is bring the dog and they'll play with the dog it's really instead of killing cute. you. See, this is what I think happened. I think the princess hatched this plot, and then she went down with her servant and the dog through the passage, gave the servant the message. She went out to the orchard. The servant went back with the dog, took the dog with him, and then popped up to Lancelot. And now he's passing the dog off to Lancelot so that they can get out the same way. Uh-huh. Boom. I've cracked it. I think that tracks. This is a wild mission. Immediately take this for your campaign. Immediately. Yes. Lancelot is not a fan of it because he thinks it sounds like cowardice. He's running away from a fight. I mean, I guess... But my question is, two griffins and a lion are easier to get past than 24 knights? 
I have no answer for that. I feel like at least there's only three of them. Right. And you're not technically fighting the two griffins. Yeah, so you really only have to fight a lot. Just the lion. All right, okay. So that's probably easier than fighting a bunch of knights. Yeah, I, I would agree. I feel like this is one of those questions that knights pose to each other at the dinner table in Camelot. They're all sitting around. It's like, would you rather fight a grizzly bear or an army of ducks? <laughs> and it's like, it's the same thing. Would you rather fight a lion and two griffins or 24 fully armed knights? Would you rather fight a lion-sized griffin or a griffin-sized lion? Yeah, <laughs> it's the same thing. What the heck? Anyway, this is the plan. I'm I'm pretty psyched yes. for this plan. Lancelot follows the instructions regardless, and here's another bit about the griffins. As soon as they heard him coming, they rose to their feet and reared up like serpents, throwing such fire and flames from their mouths that the whole of the passageway was lit up. But in the light of their flames, they saw the dog coming. And the moment they saw it, they took hold of it and carried it off to their young with the greatest joy in the world. I assume, like, they're just picking it up by the scruff of the neck and trotting off. These are unusual griffins. <laughs> and Lancelot passed by unopposed. He does have to kill the lion, though, but he's Lancelot, so he kills the he lion. He kills the lion. Lions, as he said. lions are very abundant in Camelot at this time, in England. Well, just like we're kind of unstuck in time, we're a little bit unstuck in place. That's true. There's been at least three so far. Yes, there are a lot of lions. And we've had so many bears. We haven't had any tigers. Not yet. Have we had bears? Yeah, they were attached to uh, Percival's like spinning forbidden castle. Oh, they were, weren't they? Yeah, they were, they were like guard bears. No, they were in there because I just wrote the blog post for that. I'm like, what the, what the hell? <laughs> bears? Are the bears spinning? Is the castle just spinning? What are the logistics of this? There's no logistics. It's It's pointless. It's mechanical necromancy. It is mechanical necromancy by Virgil. Yes. Famed poet slash mechanical necromancy. <laughs> Isn't he just? Anyway, Lancelot kills the lion and leaves. The Lord's daughter tries to get with him, but he's still sad about Guinevere. So eventually she starts to regret saving him, but he's barely listening anyway and just leaves. So what was the entire premise about, like, the falling in love and the spear we're just mixing up our tropes at this point. Like, she she is ready to marry him. She is about this. And he... I actually highlighted it. I will quote it directly. Lancelot paid no attention to anything she said. His sorrow for the queen weighed so heavily on his heart. Oh, buddy. He mounted and rode out of the orchard through a side gate and on into the forest. So he just ignores her and leaves while she's going like, But I love you! I mean, that's that's his prerogative. Yes, but it seems very rude. True. Lancelot next arrives at a very pleasant location. I'm going to try and summarize this because I did have it highlighted as a quote, but only because it was like, it's very pleasant. There's a new chapel with the three houses around it, and round about them is a, quote, beautiful cemetery, unquote. There's uh, a forest around it and a clear spring and a big orchard, and he can hear vespers being sung in the chapel. And inside the chapel, he meets three hermits who apparently all hermit together in their three houses all clustered together. All right. That's, I feel like at some point hermits just turn into villagers, but maybe we're not there yet. Lancelot asks him where he is, and he's they're like, this is the Isle of Avalon. Oh, we just happen to be on Avalon now. Yes. He just rode there without crossing the ocean or anything. 
Interesting. He was too caught up in his grief to notice. Yeah, it was. it's like Wile E. Coyote running off the cliff. Yeah. Like, he's just riding over the ocean and not noticing that he should be sinking. Because that's how physics works in this genre. That makes sense to me. Inside this chapel, on the Isle of Avalon, are two tombs. One containing Guinevere, the other reserved for Arthur. He just happened to be called by Guinevere's ghost. That's the only explanation I've got for this. That's all I can come up with, but... Oh, and for some reason, in Arthur's tomb, there's Loholt's head as, like, a placeholder for some reason. I mean, his son was killed! Yeah, but, like, he doesn't get his own tomb. He's in Arthur's. Weird. Anyway, Lancelot does some very dramatic prayer. I'm sure he does. Yeah, you can imagine. I'm not gonna quote it for you. There's a lot of, oh god, <laughs> and ah, my lady. And then he leaves in the morning. And that's the Isle of Avalon. That's our, like, little appearance... All right. He next reaches Arthur's kingdom, which is in a bad way. He is almost immediately informed that Kay and two other knights have just captured Sir Yvain Avotra, or however you say that, it's French. <laughs> and look, there they go, right over there. Oh no! How convenient! So Lancelot chases them down, and they fight. He manages to wound Kay and rescue Yvain. That's like two pages of material, because the... The fight is very long. Ah, yes, of course. And for our listeners, don't forget Sir Kay is the one who killed Loholt, Arthur's son. Yes, which is why he's currently working with Brienne of the Isles to make war on Arthur. Yes. Speaking of which, the next thing that happens is Kay returns to Brienne at his castle, Dura Rocha, and tells him what happened. Brienne assumes that Lancelot coming back alone means Arthur and Gawain are dead. Because remember, they had all three left together on a pilgrimage. That's right. Doesn't... Don't they know the genre conventions? You have to split up for your quests. You can't go together. Yes, but also apparently people die off stage all the time in this one. That's true. That still seems like a dangerous assumption, but okay. Yes, but nevertheless, nevertheless. Meanwhile, the court at Cardwell, or however you say that, are pleased to see Lancelot bringing back Yvain and encouraged to hear Arthur is alive. Meliant from the beginning of the chapter, who has befriended Kay, is pleased for different reasons that Lancelot has returned. He organizes a cattle raid to draw Lancelot out for a fight. Very nice. Very Irish of him. Indeed. The fight happens, and it's really just a monster paragraph that covers over a page by itself. Oof. But the fight happens and expands rapidly as knights from both sides join in culminating in a brutal sword fight between Lancelot and Brienne before both sides abandon the field. And that's the end of Branch 24. All right. Branch 25 is a short one, because we're going back to Arthur and Gawain. Perfect. They're still at Gawain's birthplace, and they are unable to leave because they are being besieged by a man called Anurez the Bastard, brother of Nabigan of the Rock, who you may recall Gawain killed recently. Yes, that's right. Again, these great names. I know, Anurez the Bastard is one of my favorites. Arthur and Gawain decide to fight their way out, although they only have five knights they had gathered for that garrison they were trying to put together. And Anurez has, quote, a great band. Gawain and Arthur manage to kill one each. Gawain kill count nine. And are about to be overwhelmed when the cavalry arrives in the form of Melio of Logris who drives off the besiegers and garrisons the castle. Oh, this is the Melio that we like. Yes, this time it's Melio. Yes. He's the one we like. And that's the whole chapter. It's a page long. The whole chapter is a page. So, Branch 26. 
Gowan and Arthur arrive at Avalon and stay for a brief paragraph before moving on to Carduil. Which makes sense, but I kind of thought they were going to go help Iglace. Like, that was kind of on their quest log. It was. But they're not. Anyway, the court is pleased to see he is not dead. Kay retreats back to Brittany, where he has a castle built called Shinon, I think, C-H-I-N-O-N, mm-hmm. and Brienne continues the war. Okay. A little bit later, a knight arrives with the following message. Hear me, sire, if it please you. Madaglan of Oriand sends me here to bid you yield the round table to him, for you have no right to it now that the queen is dead. Apparently it belongs to Guinevere's side of the family. He is her nearest relative and the one who has the greatest right to it. Okay, I like this. We don't normally see, like, rights over the crown in these stories. I think it's literally the table. Oh, just the table? Yeah. Alright, cool. Plot twist. <laughs> Did not expect that one. I'm here for it. I mean, maybe he means the court, but it, it does always say the round table, and I just assumed he meant the actual piece of furniture. Let's go with that. Anyway, if you will not do as he asks, he challenges you as the usurper of his inheritance. And he is your enemy for two reasons. Because of the round table which you are wrongfully withholding from him, and because of the new law which you uphold. The Christian law? Yeah, the Christian law. Okay. The new law is, is Christianity and throughout the book. Yes. But he sends you word by me that if you will renounce your faith and take his sister Jandri as your queen, he will let you keep the round table and will always be ready to help you. But if this you will not do, never trust him. That is the message he sends you by me. That's a, that's a good warning, actually. Yeah. So this is what in the field we call peace weaving. Yes. Yes, he's trying to reconcile their two courts by making a marriage that melds the two families. Yes. Which, most of the time, is completely unsuccessful because now you just have two people on opposing sides married who hate each other. And the people still hate each other. It doesn't get better. But in theory. In theory. Uh, you can also see this in Beowulf with Hrothgar and I can't remember how to pronounce her name. Wealthyow. Wealthyow. There we go. She is a peace-weaving queen. Yes. So the peace-weaving here, Madaglan wants him to marry his sister Jandri to kind of re-cement the alliance that apparently kind of existed between their two families since he's in some way related to Guinevere. I wonder if that was a peace weaving as well. I don't know, because they're already married at the start of this. Yeah, that's weird. Anyway, regardless, it's an attempt to make peace. Yes. Which, if he rejects, is very interesting. Well, after the messenger leaves, Gowan counsels that they fight rather than ally with this pagan. Of course, this is what I expect from him. But we're not going to hear about that right now, because Arthur is busy having bells and chalices made throughout the kingdom. Because you may remember that he just discovered those, and he's really into them. That's right! Damn Arthur. <laughs> one day, he receives the news that Brienne is attacking at Pin of... The one I really can't say. Pin of Wasiusia. That's a rough one. Penzance. It's, it's Penzance, but spelled all Frenchified. <laughs> and they head off for a long action scene. Meliant confronts Lancelot, finally, and is dealt a mortal wound. Anticlimax. True, but this is what we expected for him. Yeah. Arthur captures Brienne and, unaccountably, decides to make him a vassal, seneschal, and trusted advisor. Arthur, this is why you're a bad king. Yes. Fact. However, Arthur does begin putting it about that whoever takes vengeance on Kay will receive much honor. Alright, okay. 
I see. So, he only gets into it when it's personal. Yeah. This thing with Brienne, he's like, all right, I I have beaten you, but I am gracious in my victory. You can become my trusted advisor. And Brienne is like, sure. Yes. Of course. That's some warm, warm tongue levels of shit right there. It's, it doesn't come across when I do the thing with my fingers. <laughs> I'm doing the thing with my fingers where I like repeatedly steeple them together. Hopefully the sound will come through on my end. <laughs> ASMR evil finger steepling. Anyway, <laughs> Grand Vizier Yes, indeed. Eventually he receives another message about the Madaglan, which I keep spelling Magdalene, by the way, oh. but it's Madaglan. <laughs> Understandable mistake. Uh, about the Madagland business, this time brought by one of Queen Jandri's maidens. And this is the bit that you are reading. All right, here we go. Ooh, I don't know what accent to do for this. Um, we'll go with Irish. Oh, no, we'll go with country because they're they're like far away, right? Yes. This is going to be horrific. I apologize in advance. Sire, Queen Jandri sends me to you and bids you do what her brother asked you by his knight. She wishes to be the lady and queen of your land and would have you take her as your wife, for she is of noble lineage and great power. And by me, she bids you abandon the new law and worship the gods in whom she believes. And if you do not, you cannot be sure of your kingdom, for King Magdalene, her brother, has already has armies to march into your land. He has sworn an oath that he will not rest until he has crossed all the seas of the islands bordering upon your land and marched into Britain with all his forces and seized the round table which is rightfully his. And my lady would come herself but for one thing. She despises those who believe in the new law so much that she does not deign to see any. And as soon as it was established, she had her eyes covered because she did not wish to see those that upheld it, but the gods in whom she believes love and honor her. And when she uncovered her eyes and face, she could not see at all, and that filled her with joy, though her eyes were fair and beautiful. She has great faith in her brother, a man of great power, for he has sworn to her that he will destroy all those who believe in the new law wherever he finds them. And when he has destroyed them all in Britain and the other islands, so that my lady need never see one again, that is to say, a Christian ever again, her sight will be restored, for she stands so high in the favor of the gods. But until then, she has no desire to see anything. You're right, that was rough. That was rough. (laughs) See, this is what you get for giving me the big paragraphs this time. Yeah, I'll, I would say I'll reconsider, but I've already made out <laughs> everything notes, so I can't fix... Well, I guess I could go back and take some away. Nah. We're also almost three quarters of the way through the thing by now. Oh my gosh. So essentially what she's saying here, what this messenger is saying, is that the queen didn't want to see any non-Christians, so she covered her eyes, and when she took the cover off, she ended up being blind. And the gods have, like, magically allowed her to become blind, and she's taking this as a favor rather than a curse. Yes, because it means that she does not have to see any Christians. Do what you will, I guess. Oh, and also, she wants Arthur to abandon Christianity and give up the round table. Yes. Or fight. Or else. Yeah. Arthur sends back that he is not in the market for a new queen, especially not a pagan one. And Jandri begins encouraging her brother to take vengeance for this rejection. Cold is the Council of Women. Indeed. And that ends Branch 26. All right. So, Branch 27. 
King Madaglan invades the land of Albany, which might be Albion, question mark? That but makes sense. It says sense. Albany. That would just be England, by the way. Yes. It's the Latin. Is it? I thought it was Celtic. No, Alb is... Alb I've got to look this up. Because Alb is white. Yeah. Right? I thought it was the white land. Old English from Latin, probably of Celtic origin. So apparently <laughs> we're all right. correct. That's funny. And... Interestingly, when I Google the etymology of Albion, it also tells me about the phrase perfidious Albion. Perfidious? Very dramatic. Apparently, uh, the it's a mid-19th century phrase that gained currency because the English were seen as untrustworthy by the French. Of course. It's all, it also rolls off the tongue very well. It does. Perfidious Albion. True. All right. Yes, anyway. King Madaglan is invading that place. Possibly. He's definitely invading somewhere, and the people there ask for Arthur to help them. He sends Lancelot with 40 knights. Lancelot fights well, killing, quote, many, unquote, and thus confounding our kill count again. Ugh. See, again, if he's if he's killing, like, 40 knights, or if he kills at least half of them, then I think he could have taken on those 24. Well, it doesn't say how many he's fighting against. Lancelot has 40 knights backing him up, but it doesn't say what the odds okay, are. Okay, that's fair. I want stats. I want numbers, people. <laughs> Video games, huh? You know, gotta have the numbers. If you hit a certain, if you hit the right number, like the first time you hit 100 kill count, you get a little achievement award in Perlis Vows. That's what I'm going to do when I turn this into a video game. Inevitably, obviously. I, it's practically there already. <laughs> it's just asking for it. It really is. And then if you beat out Percival for his kill count, you get a super special award. Because you have to grind yes. to hit that number. I look forward to this game coming out. I might actually buy it. <laughs> I'll let you know when it comes into production. <laughs> anyway, Albany is saved, is the point. Yes. And the people there would like to make Lancelot the king, though as a vassal to Arthur, and send a request to Arthur to that effect. But we don't get to hear about how that turns out, because we're back in Arthur's court, and we're getting more threatening messages. And here we have a dialogue. I should note that this dialogue is between a messenger and King Arthur. I guess it's the same southern messenger, isn't it? Apparently. Oh boy, well I've dug myself a hole, haven't I? Well, it doesn't have to be, actually. No, but it's from the, he's from the same land, so I gotta, I gotta be consistent with my he dialogue. isn't, actually. Oh, okay, cool. Okay, yes, so, ahem. Where is Lancelot? Out. Well, he should know that King Claudas is now his mortal enemy because Lancelot killed his sister's son, Meliand. He may be your mortal enemy as well if you continue to harbor Lancelot. Didn't Claudas seize a number of castles from Lancelot's father unjustly? I'm willing to let the two of them sort this out, though I have confidence in Lancelot. Well, Claudas won't like that answer. Arthur calls his counselors to him a bit later, and there is a debate. Turning it into dialogue would mean doing a lot of voices, so I'll, I will summarize. <laughs> Fair enough. Brienne thinks that killing twice in the same family, i.e. Meliant and his father, is a bad look. Yes. This is something that we actually see a lot in uh, medieval literature. I think it also comes up in the sagas, is killing twice in the same family is... A bad look. Bad vibes. Yeah, it's a bad look. Moreover, Arthur is already at war with someone, Madaglan. Arthur should play it safe and temporarily dismiss Lancelot to appease Claudus. That would be a smart play. Everyone else thinks this advice is cowardly. Lancelot killed Meliant legitimately during a war being waged against his king. Waged by you, in fact, Brienne. Ahem, ahem. Why are you here? 
Claudus has no claim, and Arthur should stand by Lancelot. Brienne, and a man with the excellent title of The Proud Knight of the Heath, almost come to blows, but ultimately the debate just kinda ends. Okay. As does the chapter. Interesting. Branch 28. Arthur summons Lancelot back to his court. The idea of Lancelot becoming King of Albany has apparently been dropped. He is caught up on the news and, quote, showed no outward emotion for he knew how to deal with all his troubles, unquote, which really just makes him sound repressed. We need the toxic jargon right here. Problematic patriarchy! That's some toxic masculinity. That is. Come on, guys. We are informed as an aside that Brienne had orchestrated the whole King Claudus thing because he hates Lancelot. Bro! <laughs> so it was all a plot. It's all a masterminded, secret, evil event! Mad Aglan, hearing that Lancelot has gone back to King Arthur, renews his attack on Albany, because now Lancelot's not there to defend it anymore. Makes sense. This time, Arthur sends Brienne with 60 knights, but Brienne is defeated and Albany is forcibly converted to paganism. Oh no. Brienne returns, and we are told that, surprise, surprise, he still holds no love for Arthur and secretly wants the war to go badly for him. How could we have known? I know. We never saw it coming. So did he, like, deliberately fail? Or did he actually get defeated? That's what I want to know. I'm not sure it's clear. What is going on inside his head? No, it just it just says uh, Brienne was defeated and many of his knights were killed. It doesn't say whether he threw it or not. I'm betting he threw it, but that's just my opinion. One day at King Arthur's court, incidentally... <laughs> of course. A crossbow bolt made of gold and precious stones is suddenly fired into a pillar within the hall. Okay! They examine it for a bit, as you would. It's a crossbow bolt made of precious stones. It just came out of nowhere and stuck in a pillar. Cool. Like, huh, that's certainly a thing. That's, that's probably a quest. That's new. <laughs> I love the idea that this happens so often in King Arthur's court that they're just like, cool, new quest, who wants this one? All right, see you later, Tristan. After they look at it for a little while, a richly dressed maiden rides in and says she has a quest. Whoa. For whoever, for whichever knight can pull the bolt from the pillar. It's always pulling things out of things. I know, it's... I'm not sure it's Freudian. It's maybe reverse Freudian. I feel like it has to be Freudian, though, because none of these women that the knights are sleeping with get pregnant. These guys are all pull-out kings. Once again, I am frustrated by the audio nature of this medium because <laughs> it cannot get across the face, which is the only response I can come up with to that. The sheer disappointment, listeners. The sheer disappointment. Anyway, once the uh, the parameters are established, there is an entire page of various knights going, After you, no, after you. Ugh. Until Lancelot is convinced to try first, and he succeeds. Maybe he was the one chosen, or maybe it just wasn't that hard, and whoever did it first was going to win. You know, at this point, we'll never know. The quest is as follows, and I quote, He must go to the Perilous Chapel as soon as he can. And there he will find a knight buried, lying in a tomb in the middle of the chapel. He must take a part of the cloth in which he is shrouded, and the sword which lies beside him in the tomb, and carry them back to me at the Perilous Castle, different from the Perilous Chapel. Okay. And then he is to return to the castle where he killed the lion in the cistern, where the two griffins live, and bring the head of one of them to me at the Perilous Castle, for a knight is lying there sick who cannot otherwise be cured. 
Except by this magical shroud? Is that the premise? Yes, you need a part of the shroud and the sword and a griffin head. I like this. This is a good quest. Okay, sword, shroud, griffin head. Yes. Okay, I can roll with this. Still taking notes for that video game? Always, of course, of course. (laughs) You have to return to the place that you went to before for a later quest. This is perfect. I... I don't know why this guy wasn't a video game designer. He was at least, the author of Perilous Mouse was at least a tabletop player. He really does seem like a game designer at heart. He really does. Like, a lot of this reads like a game. That or, at bare minimum, like, they were all LARPing together. You know, I bet they were. Uh, You know, why not? They're all a bunch of knights. What do you do in your spare time? Well, apparently LARP, we see that here. That's basically what these tourneys they keep going to. Yeah. Boom. We solved it. Years of historical research. Done. You know, I bet there was medieval LARPing. There probably was. Like, it's just playing pretend with rules. Yeah. Surely someone came up with that before the modern age. That, that is what tournaments are. Everybody dresses yeah, up, they pretend to be honorable, and then they hit each other for points. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, yes. Where's the lie? I'm not sure if there are points. They do it for money. <laughs> Yeah, all right. That, yeah, that pretty much covers it. That is what, are the, what they are. I don't have anything to say to that other than yes. There we go. I guess we can at least say that this has been a phenomenon for for millennia, shall we say. Yes. If nothing else. Yes. Gaming is, I'm sure, very old in, in the terms of role-playing games. Yes. And I suppose, well, I guess not video games, but the, the role-playing game idea that underlies a lot yeah. of them. That's funny. Lancelot agrees to this quest, and we get a little bit of an explanation as the maiden talks to herself on the way out. This is Alexandria, whom we just saw a little while ago. Oh no, not Alexandria. And she has orchestrated this to make Lancelot suffer. Of course she has. By making him go to perilous places, which is kind of what he does anyway. But True, but like, how else are you going to kill this guy? Fair. He could probably drink poison and just think it's a really sour wine. It does all seem to bounce off of him a bit. I mean, he did fight Percival, who has killed over 1,500 people, and he just came away with bruises. Although, to be fair, most of those 1,500 he did kill with the aid of magical statues. Okay, that's true. That's true. But still, when Percival wants to kill you, he will kill you. Generally, yes. Anyway. Anyway. That's the end of Branch 28. Like I said, there are the, a lot of the ones in the 20s are very short. Yes, indeed. So we have 29? 29. Let's go. So, Brienne of the Isles finishes his return journey to Arthur's court and comes back having lost three quarters of his men. Not a good look. Yeah, not a good look. He and Arthur have the following little chat, and that's honestly the whole chapter is that is this chat they have. <laughs> so, I, as Arthur, I begin. What happened? Luke. It's rough out there. They want Lancelot back. He's out on a quest. If you want my advice, you'll give up on Albany. That would be dishonorable. You know they respect Lancelot more than you? They want to make him their king. Lancelot would never do such a thing without my approval. Lancelot's chivalry will do you more harm than good in the end. Mark my words. <laughs> As always, excellent ad Thank you. With my terrible French. <laughs> terrible French accent. 
I remember flagging like the first time he showed up. I was like, remember, we've got to remember he's French because I think he does a dialogue at some point. Yes, let's go. But yes, anyway, that's the end of branch 29, which leaves us with only five branches left. Oh my gosh. Some of which are also fairly short, so I think we can fit them into, well, maybe not into one because the last branch is quite long, but definitely into two. Okay. But in the meantime, segments. let's do our segments. All right. And so this is going over which ones, because I, I can pull up my notes. This is branch 19 through branch 29, which is what we did last time and this time. Oh, okay. That's not much at all. That's fresh no. in my head then. What say you? So best dialogue first. Oh, God damn it. I keep forgetting that I need to remember these. <laughs> Let's see. Death of Logren the Giant demands vengeance. We had the shield that breeds fire. We had Percival in the Lonely Forest. I know what the best dialogue is. What is the best is. dialogue? It's with... God, I'm going to find the the line because it was good. Oh, good. Yes. The one that's popping up to me is the one where the two monks... Like, you've got the cross in the forest, and then you had the creature that's smaller than a bread fox come in and they basically die... And then these two yeah. more monks come in, and uh, Percival's like, what the hell was that? And the monks just straight up say, we're not going to tell you. That is a good one. I like that one. Oh, uh, apparently the, uh, yeah, the shield that breathes fire is in the last section, so that's not. It's in both. Is it? Yeah. Because this is the one where the the demon knight and the knight of the burning dragon are the same person. Is it? It should be. Was that just last time? I think so. We also had the coward knight turn into the brave knight, or the bold, the bold knight. Oh, yeah. And his dialogue was great. Oh, no, the one I was thinking of is in Branch 18, so it's <sighs> just not... I was thinking of uh, from burying this man you are absolved. Ooh. No, that one was in this one, because I just did the blog for that one, and I wrote it down. All right. So I say we go with it, even if I'm messing it up. All right. Possibly in the previous one, but... <laughs> we'll count it, we'll count recently it. Recently, at least. From burying this man, you are absolved. Yes. Is excellent dialogue. Because the knight with the shield of the burning dragon just torches the dead body that Necra's been carrying around. Yes. And he says, you are absolved from burying this man. Or from this man. From burying this man, yes. you have been absolved. Yes. Which is a killer line. It's a very That's good That's the line. best dialogue, for sure. All right. On that note... What is the best death? Hmm. Because he's already dead by that point. We can't do that one. Right. Um, there aren't a lot of notable deaths in this section that I can think of. There's the one really horrific one, which is when Lancelot drives all the non-Christians through the golems with the hammers. That is not the best death. That's like the worst death possible. But the one that I'm that thinking of. That was definitely not in this one. And that was Percival. Okay, yes, that's right. Um, the death of the King of Castle Mortal, because they fought their they oh, fought yeah. their way in, and they're so close to getting this guy, and he's at the top of his tower, and he just stabs himself, and then falls into the moat. Is that also in this? Uh huh. Man, I'm just completely lost track. Maybe it's in the one previous. I don't know. Maybe I am going back too far. I don't think we covered it though. And it's a good death. Very good death. I think I'm skipping over one of the. 
Percival episodes or Perilous Spouse episodes. I think it might be the previous one. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, there's definitely one more that I'm missing. Well, we'll keep it in there because there's not much in this one. Yeah, fair enough. And there's so many branches, we might as well just cover everything we can. All right. In that case, let's go ahead. Let's just say the King of Castle Mortal, which, again, maybe we're breaking our own rules as to what section we're in. But there's not a lot of good Death, stuff. Yeah. It's all the same text. It'll it'll be fine. Bestiary. All right. Mythical Critters. I vote for the two Griffins. I think those are the only ones we've got, yes. And they are some elaborately weird They're griffins. They're so weird looking because what are the, I guess, I was going to say traditional griffin, but I suppose it would be the more modern rendition of a griffin is like the beak of an eagle, the wings of an eagle, and then like the back of a lion, right? Yeah. But these are the faces of men, which is already terrifying, with the beaks of birds and that. I think that's a awful combination but the eyes of screech owls so they've got these huge eyes beaks and then the rest of it is just a human face the teeth of dogs that ears of mules the feet of lions the tails of serpents and they breathe fire and they breathe fire and apparently they're kind of serpentine because they're described as a type of griffin uh, as a type of serpent serpent called griffins and they rear up like serpents that's freaky you know what i think the freakiest part is they have both teeth and a beak. Ooh. Why did you have to say that? I wasn't even thinking about that. <laughs> How does that work? Oh. What does that look like? I feel like it's like a snapping turtle's mouth. This is, so they've got like an eagle's beak with dog's teeth in it. Yeah, it's like a it's like a snapping turtle mouth. Hang on, I'll send you a picture. No, I know what a snapping turtle's mouth is. They got all those like. they all got the, like a sharp teeth sticking in there. Yes. It's just all canines. <laughs> That's a, those are good gestures you're making. Again, it's a shame. <laughs> <laughs> the, the audio nature of the medium. Just me twisting my hands and horrifically gruesome curved points. That's... Mm. And those are some weird griffins. Yes, they are some weird griffins. Oh, and they can be easily distracted by dogs whom they like playing Boom. with. Boom. I challenge any... DM or GM to throw this at their players and everyone like someone's like oh yeah there's a griffin over in this area and they show up and it's one of these (laughs) technically a griffin it's just the kind you've never seen before yeah especially if I challenge anyone to draw this thing absolutely and if you do we want to post it I want to see this even if you don't want us to post it I would love to see it yes because I'm just having I'm having a hard time imagining yeah it's not coming together in my Mm -mm. head Which is probably a blessing. All right. Yeah, those are our mythical critters. Yes. What shall we use for a D&D game? So much. Well. (laughs) So much. We were just talking about how it would be fun to put these griffins into one. Mm -hmm. So there's step one. Boom. Stick some of these creepy griffins. Like, just take that entire quest, too. That you have to see if you can pull the spear out. If you do, you get the lady's hand in marriage, but the king doesn't want to give you her hand in marriage, so you have to escape. So you go through the underground tunnel, and you can sort of figure out the dog trick. Mm -hmm. It basically writes itself, and I feel like it's flexible enough that you could take any element of it and chuck it anywhere else that you wanted to, or keep the entire thing together and just maybe not give your players obvious like an obvious messenger who walks up and says, here's how to get past the griffins. Like Maybe they have to find that out somehow. Yeah, that's a weird lateral thinking puzzle. It would be interesting to see if anyone can come up with mm-hmm. that. 
Like maybe they see whenever somebody goes down into the cellar, they always bring the dog or maybe they do a charisma check or an intelligence check to trick somebody or convince somebody into telling them. Maybe they find a note written somewhere. There's there's a billion ways you could do this. It's very yeah. versatile. What else? I want to see the knight and his ex in some sort of quest. You just want to include that subplot. I just want to include it as a subplot because that's hilarious. Like, maybe it's a paladin who's like, I'm doing the right thing, you guys. And he's really not. He's really not doing the right thing. Yeah. That could be good. I kind of like the idea of an NPC with a grudge against one of the player characters setting up, like, a classic quest just because she wants to see them suffer. 100%. I found something really unpleasant that needs doing, and I'm going to make sure that you're the one to do it. Absolutely. Just because I want it to suck. I want it to suck for you. Even better if you can make it the entire party. Yes. Like a guild leader who hates the entire party. And they're like, all right, fine. Do this quest. All right. What else have we got? I feel like there's more in here. Oh, well, from last time around, there's, of course, the tournament and having to do badly. Yes. Forcibly doing badly would be very interesting, especially for min-maxers. But yeah, then again, like they me- probably don't like the roleplay aspect. So maybe don't do that because you'll piss them off. Yeah. But yeah, have some kind of roleplay. Uh- Where you have to fail checks. Yeah, for some for some reason, set up a scenario where they have to do badly, where they have to fail checks, where they have to role play out their their failure in order to complete the quest properly. We love consequences on this show. <laughs> okay, I feel like there was a magical weapon or a magical item at the beginning of this episode, but I can't remember what it was. There was the cool crossbow that shot like a jewel-encrusted shot, arrow, whatever. Which bolt. would bolt. There we go. Which would be really cool. And then there was something else at the beginning, but I can't put my finger on it. Maybe it was just the griffins. Might have been the griffins. I don't know. I'm trying to figure out where I tossed it. <laughs> um, oh, there it is. Nope. That's last time. Ooh, a queen or a character who goes blind by the grace of the gods. That'd be really cool if you could spin that for a player character. Until they fulfill a certain quest, they're blind. Yes. Yes, especially if you could, if you can somehow make it a boon, mm. like uh, Jandri thinks it is. It was probably just the griffin. Yeah, it was just the griffin. Okay. That's what's at the beginning of the yeah, thing. Yeah, cool, cool. All right, what about, the, what about Lancelot's little headless quest? Can we incorporate that anyway? Oh, the beheading yes. game? Well, I mean, of course, we can always put that True, in. but, you know, Gawain did it better. Is there anything that Lancelot provides in his quest that we don't get from Gawain? I'm not recalling anything. I mean, technically, the business with the Waste City was all new, but it was also kind of unexplained and just t- felt very tacky. True, true. All right. Setting the game in an abandoned city definitely gives it a different feel. True, very true. All right, shall we move forward? I have, a, I have other things. Oh, you have other things. Let's go. Well, we've got from the beginning of uh, the previous episode, the casket that can only be opened by the person who killed the head inside it. I that's, think that's so cool. That one's really good. And that would be a great way to flag for your players. Hey, guess what? There are suddenly consequences <laughs> for one of your fights. Remember that guy you killed like three levels ago? He's back. Guess whose head is in that box? Ooh. And you know what that means? That means there's a vengeance quest. Mm-hmm. And there's also, uh, no, I think we already covered that, 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 that there's just like a ready-made quest with the 
bolt being fired yes, in the yes. And the go get these three things so that you can That's heal this man. That's what it was. It was the three items. I didn't want to forget that. So we have the griffin head. So, so that's mm-hmm. and that's cool because it's somewhere you've been before. And then yep. the shroud. And then what else? There's a sword, sword also in the tomb. That's right. That's cool. That's classic questing. Yeah. And a neat thing is I think it, I seem to remember that the idea is it's the sword that dealt the wound. So that's an interesting twist on like a wound that can only be healed if you have the sword that, that dealt, dealt the, the blow. wound. Definitely. That's really cool. Like, that would be a fun thing to make people figure yeah. out. And that touches on a lot of, um, there's a term for it. What type of magic is it? Relative magic or associated magic? Sympathetic? So, there we go. Sympathetic magic. Where things yeah. are related inherently, but maybe not necessarily literally. Yeah, I think that, yeah, that, that is, that does count as sympathetic mm-hmm. magic, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. Because you can yeah. only heal it by the thing that did the wounding. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. That, that's good. That's interesting. All right. I think that's all up. Okay. How many ages hence shall this our lofty scene be acted over? All right, echoes in modern culture. I mean, aside from toxic masculinity, which is pervasive in this text. Yes, but it's pervasive in a lot of these texts. Yes. What else? Oh. There's not too much. No. uh, I feel like some of the hospitality kind of comes over comes across in terms of how you treat a guest and how you represent yourself and even if you don't like somebody you put on a cordial face while they're there and then plot to kill them afterwards right as you do mm-hmm. yeah we could make that argument that that's a, that's a, a distant <laughs> echo and of course all the arthurian stuff is still like around mm-hmm. but it's being borrowed from different texts than this one usually mm-hmm. We totally forgot about Avalon in the last section, that Lancelot just popped up in Avalon. That was very strange. I'm not sure how you'd incorporate it into a game. I don't know. Maybe instead of knowing that the players have gone to the Fey Realm, maybe they just show up. Maybe they just happen to come across the graves of really important people that they've killed or have been killed in their lives, and they have to deal with the consequences of that. I don't know. But I feel like there's something there. I'm I'm excited to see if it ever pops back up. All right. I don't remember whether it does or not. We'll find out together. We will. All right. I don't know that there's that much modern culture in this, except for just the... And there's 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 really not. All right. Omitatus. A D&D party. Who do we want? I feel like we could do a good villain party if we wanted to do an evil campaign. Because we have Brienne, we've got Kay. Uh, they've got their buddy Meliant. Meliant. Who else? The ex, Alexandria. Alexandria. Boom. Got a whole party. Always with her ski. Ooh. That's good. That's good. That would be fun, because like three of them are kind of working together, but Alexandria has her own agenda. Chaotic evil, baby. Gaslight gatekeep girl boss. <laughs> I would have never guessed that those would be like the arc words for this text, but somehow you've made them happen. I'm here for it. What can I say? Street smarts! What can we learn from this section of Pearl of Spouse? If the challenge is only the person who killed the man can open the casket, you don't want to do it. Just don't do it. In no way does that end well for you. Yeah, Kay did not seem to understand that that was not a challenge he wanted to win. 
And I think that didn't work out well for mm-hmm. him. So mm-hmm. He's still alive, which is something. He is still so, alive. So, we'll see. But yeah, don't do not do that. You're only going to get yourself in trouble. Don't kill twice in the same family. That's a great one. Proven yeah, wisdom. Very relevant to our modern days. Of course. I know I'm always having that problem. Yeah, because then you got to deal with the Ware Guild and the Blood Feud, and it just gets so messy. I'm just so tired of gilding all those wares. <laughs> I, I actually just got to the part, I'm, I'm reading through uh, the Fellowship of the Ring again, and I just got to the part where Isildur says that he keeps the ring as Weregild against Sauron, and I, I'd never caught that before. Yeah, I don't I don't remember. Yeah, he specifically uses the term Weregild because Gandalf is retelling the, oh no, sorry, Elrond is retelling the whole story at the council. And because he was there, of course, so Elrond knows. And he says that Isildur called it Weregild for the death of his, I think it was his father and his brother. One, that's extremely cool. Two, just for like a note of how medievalist drowned my brain is. <laughs> my first thought was, okay, but maybe that's a translation. <laughs> this is a book that was written in English. Yes, yes. But then again, like maybe, again, like that, that sounds like the kind of translation choice Tolkien would absolutely. make. Absolutely. You're like, oh, okay, cool. Tolkien just translated it that way, which I mean, in the meta of Lord of the Rings, the Lord of the Rings is the Red Book, which is a translation, which Tolkien did translate in writing it. So. Oh, yeah. So I was. <laughs> <laughs> Oof. How many layers can we peel back on this cake? But yeah, anyway, I thought that was interesting. Also, for those who are less familiar with Wear Guild, we talked about it uh, before on the podcast, but it means man price. So it's the payment that you're given in Old English. It's the payment that you're given for killing a man or for having killed. If uh, Wow, I'm not saying this correctly. Wear Guild is the payment that a relative receives. Yeah, you don't, you don't receives. get paid for killing yeah, people. <laughs> it's the payment that a relative receives after the dead relative has been killed or is dead. Yeah, like, it's it's the fine you pay for killing someone payable to the victim's heirs. Heirs and family, yeah. All right, any other street smarts? Let's see. Don't do peace-weaving treaties. They don't work. Fair. Neither do forced marriages. Forced marriages are they a don't bad idea. Well. Maybe don't, just don't pull things out of other things. If it's a <laughs> weapon that is stuck into something, please don't touch it. Like, unless you really want to go on a quest that will endanger your life, please don't touch it. Leave things alone. Just, Don't do the challenges. <laughs> if you see a weapon stuck in a structure, do not touch it. You will get a quest. I know it sounds like fun. It's not. You could die. Facts. Helpful life tips on the show. And finally, just because you've defeated someone does not mean that they are a good advisor now. So true. You know, it's surprising how often that occurs in history. Not even in stories, but in history. What, the defeated people becoming advisors? I feel like Rome did that all the time. No, now that you mention it, it does sound very familiar. It's like, oh, we just defeated you guys. Cool. You, their leader, become a vassal king. Pay taxes to me and advise me. That's right. That's true. So I guess there is is like an echo of truth to that. Because like he does become his vassal, Mm -hmm. which makes sense. Right. But you have to be really Becoming careful. his trusted advisor is the part that doesn't Exactly. You have to be really, really careful who you bring into your inner circle, especially if you've just defeated these people. Because they're, yeah. you know, they could bite you in the ass. All right. Best moment. 
Shall we do our best moment? I think my favorite moment was Kay swaggering up to do the <laughs> challenge and Arthur saying like, oh, I forgot you. And Kay being like, no, you shouldn't forget me. I'm the best. I'm the best I can ever. totally open this casket. And then completely huh. failing to like even get that there's a problem after he opens the casket and is like, there's a head in there. See, I killed that uh, man. Because he proclaims you know. it too. Ah, oh, dumbass. Yeah, that's a great moment. Okay, just to pick a different one, just for the sake of picking a different one. Let's see. I don't know. I think just the sheer oddness of what it would be to have a messenger come up to you and be like, hey, take this dog, go into the cellar. There's two griffins and a lion. Send the dogs toward the griffins and then get out. You'll have to kill the lion. I can't, I can't help you there, bro. But like, you know, it's better than fighting her dad's men. I did like just the absurdity just of that. wild. Plan. Distract the griffins with a dog, but you have to kill the lion. I was fully expecting the griffins to devour the dog, but they nope. didn't. It's playtime. They just played together, which is cute. Also, he was weirdly focused on how much the griffins had bred. Well, I guess you'd be, if you lived there, you'd probably be really worried about that. Like, how many griffins are there going to be? True. How many griffins do we have food for? That's true. I didn't consider that. Yeah, if you if you have to feed them, that's a that's a bigger problem. How long can we keep these griffins under control before they come up and start eating people? That's another problem that you have to think about. I'd be very worried about griffins breeding if I lived in that castle. Fair point. Fair point. Less odd now that I think about it. All right. The court. The court. You pick Oh first. my gosh. Okay, so we picked Lancelot and Gawain last time, right? Yep, they're already off the table. <sighs> I still don't want Percival. I already picked Dindrain, right? I think you I think, got, yeah, her, I last got her, time, her last yeah. time. She's great. I was going to say, even though she doesn't show up in this section, I still love her. Who else do we have as major players? You might need to pick a minor player. Did Melio die already? Melio did not die already. I want Melio. Because he had a right, lion. I'm putting it in. And he's been pretty foolproof so far. He's been a good friend. I'm probably forgetting somebody else, but I'm going to go with Melio. Melio. That's honestly a really good choice. Let's see. Um, Man, who is left? We're going to have to do this again, too. (laughs) At least only one more Mm -hmm. time. Okay, the only names that are standing out to me are all, like, the people we put in the villain party. Right? You could do Yglaise. Could do Yglaise. She's pretty cool. She got Percival off his ass. Do you know who's cool? Who? Emily, the elder maiden who wanted to sleep with Gowan. That's right. <laughs> I like her. I'm I'm taking that one. She was forceful too. Yeah, I like her scheming ways. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Alright. Final rating. And a rating. This continues to just be wonderful. It's pretty good. I feel like at bits it's dragging, Mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. stuff like the griffins and whatnot do save it. I'd say 8. 8.5. I will give it an 8, because I do feel like at this point it's kind of like getting bogged Mm -hmm. down and adding all these new wars and new plot twists. Yeah, that's true. All right, match mine with an 8. We'll keep it simple. We'll just do 8. All right. 8's across the... All right. Okay. And now... Off to the Leech's Corner. Welcome to the Leech's Corner. Yes, give us some Hildegard. Let me pull her up. What does she have for us today? All right, is there a section that you prefer to do today? We've got 
Plants, elements, trees, stones, fish, birds, animals, reptiles, and metals. I think we already did the metals. Let's go back to one we've done some of already. I, I seem to remember that when we did reptiles, we only read the dragon True. one. So let's see. Let's hear about some other reptiles. Okay, some more reptiles. So there's dragon. There's a certain serpent. Did I do that one? No, you did not okay, do a certain serpent. Okay, let's do that one. All right. A certain kind of serpent, and this is great because it gives you, it gives me the Latin quodam genus serpentis. Like literally, a certain kind of serpent. Yeah, I was going to say that sounds like it means a certain. That's kind of all serpent. it means. Anyway, it is very hot and is able to live on land and water. It has diabolic arts for ambushing people. This serpent is hostile towards human beings. It sends out its. Did you say diabolic parts? Arts, diabolic arts. Oh, diabolic art. Sorry, the uh, Skype skipped briefly, and I was like, what are diabolic arts, and how do they ambush people? <laughs> no, it uses its diabolic arts. Uh, it sends out its breath, which is full of deadly poison, toward a person. Even its skin is thickened by the poison within it, so that the skin contracts into wrinkles, and the outer layer is split from the heat of the sun. When it feels this, it is as if it were oppressed by ulcers. It seeks a narrow opening in the rock, which it rubs against until it throws off foam. It is then less savage than it had been when it was burdened by the foam. When it has thrown off the foam, its skin becomes delicate and clear as if new. Which just sounds like a snake molting. Yeah, yeah, it sounds like it's shedding Mm -hmm. its skin. Or like some kind of lizard molting. The serpent rejoices greatly. And then it is a bit less fierce in its poison and ambushes. A person who finds the snake in this condition should kill it and carefully remove its tail. He should dry the tail in the sun and preserve it in a thin metal. Then, when he is oppressed... Question. Maybe a silly question. How do you determine which part of the snake is the tail? Where does the tail end? That's a good question. I think when its belly, like, you know, its, its belly has a different print. Usually when that tapers, I think you're at the tail. That would be my guess. So when is a, when a person is oppressed by some great sadness and trouble, he should hold it in his right hand. He will be happy from it, and as long as he holds it in his hand, he cannot be harmed internally by poison. If he eats or drinks poison, it will pass through him in sweat, nausea, or in evacuating his bowels. The liver and other parts of the serpent are deadly and thus suitable for no remedies. There is another kind of serpent that is hot but lives only on land, not in water. Its poison, being a bit weak, harms a person less if he touches or tastes it. This kind of snake sometimes lives with people in their homes or in dry places. It sets fewer ambushes for people. When it sees that a person wants to strike it... (laughs) (laughs) It still sets ambushes for people. You know, like snakes do. But fewer of them. When it sees that a person wants to strike it, it sticks out its tongue and moves it in supplication. It is the kind that seduced Adam and therefore seeks human habitations. You know, maybe it's because you just mentioned setting ambushes, but when you say that, like, when a person seeks to strike it, it sticks out its tongue, I imagine the roadrunner <laughs> going, like, meet, 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 and then <laughs> sticks out its tongue. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. I think these are just two different kinds of snakes. Yes. Well, she does seem very clear on that. There's one kind of snake and another kind of snake. It's a shame she doesn't have names for them. They're just certain kinds that live in dry places. Very interesting. I do like the idea of snakes setting ambushes for people. I really don't think that's a thing snakes do. I don't think so. But it makes sense because they like to sit under rocks to regulate their temperature. So you could perceive Mm -hmm. it as they set an ambush to bite you. That's true. Maybe just... If you're, if people are frequently surprised by finding snakes, maybe you'd start to think that they're out to yeah, get you. Yeah, they're, they're setting ambushes for you. 
I just like the idea of them All using right. their little tails to create like catapults or something. <laughs> well, we're back on Wiley. Yeah. <laughs> okay, the next one is a slow worm. A slow All worm. All one word. You say. Slow worm. Or a okay. blinzlich. Yes. Oh, this is very short. The slow worm is cold, and while alive, it does not harm people. It has no utility and is not valuable for medicine. After it is dead, people will be very injured by its poison if they have touched or eaten it. That is it. I feel like it doesn't tell us much. No. I don't know what a... I'm going to Google it. I'm curious. I don't know if it'll turn up anything, but... Slow worm. What is a slow worm? It's a thing. A deaf adder or a blind worm. It's a type of snake. It is a reptile. Oh, no, it's a legless lizard. Technically, it's not a snake. Yeah. Interesting. And it can live in England. Oh, funny. They're kind of cute looking. Yeah, I kind of like them. Aw. Slow worm. There you go. They are a protected species in England. And, of course, they are not native in Ireland because there are no snakes in Ireland. But they're not snakes. True. They're legless lizards. They're, they're, I feel like Patrick would have counted them. <laughs> That's probably fair. All right, the next one is a toad. Then it goes into types of frogs. So let's let's get into toads. Yes, I assume that toads are venomous in this one because toads tend to be venomous in a lot of medieval texts. Let's for no let's reason. find out. I'm very excited. The toad has in it some great heat and some bitterness. Just as dangerous winds come forth with lightning and thunder and hail, it has some diabolic art in it. Presumably with storms is my guess. It has some association with humans and is sometimes dangerous. It seeks its home on land under the earth. A person who has scrofula, which is a disease with glandular swellings, probably a form of tuberculosis, should take the liver of a toad, wrap it in moist earth, and then bury it in other earth for nine days. On the tenth day, he should throw the liver away and heat the moist earth, which has been around it, on a piece of pottery. For three days, he should put it on the scrofula, or the, I guess, glands. What did I say? I think you said glands. Glandular disease. Yes. I guess on your lymph nodes or whatever. That have not ruptured. Put it on the ones that have not ruptured. It will vanish without a doubt unless it holds the death of a person. That is to say, unless it's mortal at that point. Or unless God does not will it. Oh, well, of course. Yeah, yeah well, you know. Uh, if the scrofula has ruptured, he should heat the same earth as already described on the fire and place it on an old linen cloth, which sometimes takes in a person's sweat. First, he should place... This is cool. This is some, like, classic witchcraft here. First, he should place a spider web over the ulcers, then the cloth with the warm earth in it. When it has lost its heat, he should reheat it and put it on again. He should do this two or three times a night for three nights and the scrofula will vanish. The earth is put in the linen cloth because of the cleanliness of the linen, which makes sense, since linen attracts mucus to itself. like It absorbs. It's a towel. The cloth is old because it ought to be suffused more than a new cloth with human sweat. I guess. I, yeah, I think you read that yeah. correctly. It's got to be sweaty. Oh, okay. Here we go. There ought to be human sweat in it so that the rotten, rotten matter flees the sweat, which is stinky. Something bad often <laughs> dissipates. <laughs> hang on. Hang on. Let me get the last sentence. Something bad often dispels another bad thing. Of course. That's the logic here. Sure. That'll work. Aw. Yeah, so. I mean, this is... it's a pretty elaborate cure. Yeah. I'm kind of sold on it. I'm disappointed that the toad isn't venomous. I was really expecting you know, maybe that. Maybe the frogs are. We'll find out. 
The frog is cold and a bit watery, therefore its powers are not as bad as the toad's. For one who is troubled by gout in any part of his body, except for the head, he should take a frog and suffocate him over the grass or under any herb. That's sad. Aww, uh, poor frog. Place a warm cloth over the place where the gout is raging, and then place the frog, now dying, on the cloth for a little while. The gout in that place will stop for a year, or at least half a year. That's just sad. Yeah, that seems like un- an unnecessarily cruel just cure. Put a, just put a frog on your gout. I don't think you need to suffocate it. No, live frog. <laughs> live frog. Put it on your gout. See if that works. Tree frogs. Oh. The tree frog. Didn't know they had them in Germany. Apparently. Apparently. Uh, the tree frog is, well, maybe this was where she got it from the Latin Mediterranean sources. I don't know. Who knows? Anyway. I don't know. I always think of them as like a, a new world thing. Yeah. That might just be some weird bias I have. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, the tree frog is more hot than cold. It grows from the air through which trees bring forth their greenness and flowers. At the time when tr- Wait, so it grows like like leaves? Yes. Like it just coalesces yes. out it of the air? It just becomes a tree frog. All right. It's like how worms and maggots grow from the earth. Right. Spontaneous generation. Oh, spontaneous generation of tree frogs. Band name. <laughs> Anyway, at the time when trees are producing this greenness and their flowers, airy spirits attack humans more than any other time. At that time, people's minds are bursting with the vanity of joking and ridiculing. Oh, why would you do that in spring? Uh, Just as the viridity of the tree is increasing, humans create idolatry and many empty things with the tree frog through diabolic arts. Wait, what? They they create idolatry (laughs) and many many diabolic arts with the tree frog. Yes, with the tree frog. If someone wishes to ensnare this reptile so that diabolic deeds are not created through it, he should throw it in a spring of living water so that it becomes wet. Then no one can bring about diabolic happenings with it. It is not useful as medicine. This This is just, she's just telling you to kill frogs. Yeah, she seems to think that these frogs are very evil. Incredibly evil. Okay, the next one is very interesting. Okay, so Harumna. Harumna. I don't know what that is. Okay, this is Hildegard of Bingen, A Visionary Life by Sabrina Flanagan. So she she says that this is probably a kind of toad. And this entry is very short. It says the harumna is cold and mucus and poison are its hot components. The poison is not hot enough to harm a person very much. There is no medicine in it. Then we have the mole. M-O-L-L. Isn't that a gangster's girlfriend? Yeah. Huh. Is it trying to say, like, mole? Like, M-O-L-E? Is that is she counting that as a reptile? I can see how she would make that. It. Well, no, it's got fur. It should be clearly not a reptile. Hmm. I don't, I don't know what it... I don't know what she's referring to here. But the mole is more hot than cold, but its heat quickly grows cold. Its poison is deadly. The mole itself does not harm people much while it is alive, but people are killed by its poison if they taste it. Other parts of it are not useful for medicine. I think there needs to be like a spotter's guide or something for these critters that she's yeah. talking about. Because a lot of the time she's just like, eh, it's a type of serpent. It's a yeah. whatever that <laughs> harumna. Harumna. Like, tell us what it yeah. looks like. Because I'm not sure what animal you're talking about here. And that's not going to be helpful for me if I'm trying to make medicine. Exactly. Or if I'm going from, I don't know, Germany to Switzerland or from Switzerland to Spain, I need to know what to look for uh, on the road. Yeah. All right. The next one is lizard. Just okay. lizard. Any kind. 
The lizard is hot and dry. Its poison is a bit weak and not very harmful to people. The lizard is harsh and fierce in its nature. Things in it are not useful for medicine. She's very down on all these reptiles, I she feel. She is. Uh, then we have the spider. And amphibians. Oh, yeah, and amphibians. These poor frogs. Wait, did you say spider? Yes, the spider, which is apparently a kind that of reptile. <laughs> <laughs> okay. The spider is more hot than cold, and it is very like a scorpion in the danger of its poison. The scorpion's heart is large and fat, and the spider's is small and weak. I like that she just throws that out there. Scorpions have fat I like that hearts. she compares it to a scorpion. It's like, oh, a spider. It's like a scorpion. I'm like, Hildegard, <laughs> bestie, you're writing for people in Germany. Girl. They know what spiders are. They've never seen they a scorpion. They have no idea. It's poison, that is the spider, is dangerous to humans if it touches the outside of their flesh. If a person eats or drinks, it's poison. He will either die or scarcely escape death. Which is true. There are a lot of nasty spiders. That is true. Although I don't know that it... I wonder how dangerous spider venom is if ingested. How would you find out? How would you get the venom into someone you just have to eat without having eat them the spider. be bitten by a spider? I guess you would just, just eat, eat the, the spider. spider. Yeah. Or like crush crush the spider and then cook it into something? Or mix it into yeah, something? Okay, fair. Ugh. I was trying to imagine like extracting it, like milking the spider somehow. I don't think that that would be very wise. I know you can do that with snakes. Oh, yeah, that's true. You mm -hmm. can. That's how you make antivenoms. There you go. Uh, she also does include both the scorpion and tarantula. Okay. So scorpion has in it a burning heat and passion and also the harshness of infernal punishments. Did you say? All right. So it has a burning heat and a passion and the harshness of infernal punishments. Yes. This is a very dramatic arachnid. Mm -hmm. Whatever is in it is a totally deadly poison. That is the death of a human, and sometimes of animals. Any person who wishes to prepare poisonous things with it would subject death to anyone to whom it was given to drink or touch. There is no medicine in it, only very certain death. Goodness. Her description of the tarantula is quite curious. I don't, I don't right. think that she's actually talking about a tarantula, but uh, we'll see. Does she say it flies? Uh, no, but it has udders. Okay. That's a weird one. <laughs> the tarantula. I have, I have encountered descriptions of flying tarantula in other medical texts. That's well, why they, I asked. I didn't just pull that There out is the nowhere. jumping one. They do jump. So that is fun. The tarantula is very hot and poisonous. It sends all of its poison into its tail. Tarantulas don't have tails. No, not that I'm aware of. So that its tail is always full of poison as beasts' udders are full of milk. Uh, oh, so it doesn't have udders. I misread that. Okay. Uh, it inflicts death on human beings and animals with the poison of its tail. There is nothing useful and no medicines in it. Which I thought tarantulas I feel like were that's largely a just big spiders. I don't yeah. think they have any kind of poison. But we, can, we, we have the power of the internet. Let's see. Are tarantulas poisonous? They do contain venom glands and inject venom into their prey through their fangs. All species of oh. tarantula are venomous and contain venom that they use for hunting prey. But tarantulas themselves are not poisonous. Like, if they bite you, it's not really gonna, it's not gonna kill you. No. They're just big and hairy. Hmm. All right. There's also the viper and the basilisk. And then the tyrannica. Ooh, there's some fancy ones. Oh, okay. There's not that many left. I feel like we can get through all of them. All right, let's go ahead and get through all of them. All right, right, cool. So, the viper is as hot as fire, and everything in it is deadly. It does not allow anything it is able to conquer to live near it. It kills everything around it that it can. 
It is of such great malice that a viper flees from other vipers until a time when it is necessary to conceive. If anyone finds a dead viper in the area where vipers live, since it is impossible to get a live one, he should burn a great fire with strong wood in a secret place and throw the viper in. He should hurriedly leave that place, leaving the fire there, I guess, lest the poison or bad vapors touch him. Only you can cause forest fires. (laughs) Apparently. After it has been reduced to ashes, the person should leave any part of it that remains, but he should take its ashes and the ashes of the charcoals in which it burned and keep them in a linen cloth. Then if someone swells up on some part of his body, he should take that cloth with the ashes over the swelling. The swelling will go away. I don't know if that has anything to do with the viper, whether it's just like the charcoal residue, but interesting. Well, I feel like it's it's similar to like the uh, thing with the sweat is that you get something that's poisonous and it sucks there the poison go. out of you, but you have to burn it to make safe it safe for you to touch. Yeah. All right. Because one of the one of the things I'm noticing going through this is a lot of things are poisonous to touch, not just to be bitten mm-hmm. by, mm-hmm. which feels weird. Like you think that the well. I guess how often do you touch something that's poisonous and not get also bit. get bitten? Yeah, especially like spiders and stuff, because you're a lot bigger than them. They're going to bite you. Yeah, if you poke at a spider, I, it'll probably yeah. bite you. I wouldn't yeah. blame it. So I guess you'd assume that, oh, just touching them is poisonous because you... you touch it and then something burns. Yeah. Hmm. All right. Hmm. Next is the basilisk. The basilisk is born from certain vermin that are somewhat diabolical. That is, from toads. <laughs> oh, so basilisks just are born from toads sometimes when a toad has been impregnated and is going to bring forth young if she sees the egg of a serpent or hen she loves it and lies over it she warms it until she gives birth to her naturally conceived young these die as soon as they are born seeing them dead she again places herself over the egg and warms it until the young and the egg has begun to live soon a particular power of the diabolic art of the ancient serpent touches it the- <laughs> Oh, no. This power rests in the Antichrist, and just as he resists all heavenly beings, so this animal fights against all mortals, killing them. After the toad senses the thing in the egg is alive, she immediately... She is immediately astounded by this unusual occurrence and flees. The animal breaks through its shell and emerges. It naturally sends out a very strong breath, similar to thunder and lightning. The fire within it can be very fierce and strong without the torments of Tartarus. It comes from its shell and with its breath splits the earth almost to the depth of five cubits. It then lies in this split of moist earth until it grows to maturity. Then it climbs back out up to the earth, killing with its breath all living things it finds. Nothing living desires, nor is able to endure it. When it sees something that is that is alive, in its displeasure, it sends cold and then its breath, so killing the creature it blew on. It falls immediately, as if struck by thunder and lightning. If a basilisk has died in any field or vineyard and its cadaver has rotted there, that place will be unfruitful and sterile. If it dies and rots in any citadel or house, the people there will always be ill, and the animals in that place will frequently get disease and very often die from it. See, that's what we need for all of these. Yeah. So some description of like what they are exactly. Well, notice we didn't get any physical description of what it looks like. That's true. You still wouldn't know if you no, saw one. But if you see the evidence of like a crack in the earth that's five cubits deep and a lot of disease and stuff, then you would know. Or if you see a toad sitting on an egg. At least you get a vibe of what it is instead of like basilisk, not useful for medicine. <laughs> and you're like, what? But this, this way you know something about you do. it also. You're prepared. 
I like that in this one, it doesn't say that it'll blind people. It'll, it'll just like strikes them dead. That's an interesting yeah. one. All right. Then we have the Tyriaca, T-Y-R-I-A-C-A. I don't know what this animal is supposed to be. Anyway, the Tyracian venom is very hot and naturally seeks dry air. It has a healthy moisture, which is not too hot or too cold, and purges itself from all noxious humors at one time. Otherwise, it would be very dangerous to humans. When sickly air or breezes are present, it seeks out sandy caverns and hides in them. While there, it eats certain herbs, and having a concern for good health, and from them, it preserves... How nice! (laughs) You know, it preserves its own health. There are not many precious ointments in it, but it creates a certain terror, bringing out sweat when a person has tasted it in any way. However, it does not do much to expel the inner illnesses of a person. So if someone eats part of it, they freak out, but they're not, like, significantly harmed or They just sweat a lot. Yeah. Go figure. But otherwise, it's not very useful. So, uh, I don't even know what it is. Um, Okay, I'm trying to look up this next one, but it's literally only bringing up Hildegard. So, we don't know what this one is, but it's it's called the Shersbedra. I feel like you're making this up. I swear to you, I'm not. What I'm going to do is I'm going to try and translate it and just see what pops up. I guarantee you this is not Italian Google Translate. I promise you. Shares can mean joke. Bedra is not being translated. I have no idea what this one is at all. Anyway, this thing is hot and has moisture in it. A person who eats or drinks poison should reduce the whole Sherbedra to a powder and add a bit of whole wheat flour so that there is five times as much powder as flour. He should mix water with it, make little cakes and cook them in the sun or in a somewhat cool oven. He should then reduce the cakes again into a powder and eat some of the powder in in an egg. It will purge the poison from him through nausea or in evacuating his bowels. Oh, well, that's one way to purge. It would work, I suppose. We don't know what this is. I have no idea what this is. Yeah, so shares bad. Yes. The next one is an earthworm. The earthworm. Oh. Well, yeah, we know this one. This one's okay. Yeah. This one's a... Still not sure that's... I'm not sure if that's a reptile or not. I feel like it's not. I don't, I don't think it is. I think worms are their own thing. Yeah. Anyway. All right. The earthworm is very hot. It grows in the same vividity in which grasses begin to sprout. So again, this is a, a thing that grows. It is not born. It grows. Oh. Okay. It grows in that noisy greenness that is grass. And because of its clean nature, has no bones. <laughs> because of its clean That's what nature, it says. none of those filthy no, bones of course here. not. Not like toads, full, full of, of bones, bones. diabolical <laughs> bones. It is good and useful, like other useful things, such as cinnamon. What? That's what it says. <laughs> it's useful, like a useful thing, like <laughs> cinnamon. I mean, cinnamon's also hot. I don't know. Earth has moisture in it, which is contained in something like veins, so that it does not flow out. When the rain is about to fall from the air, this moisture feels the coming rain, which will fill its veins. The earthworms understand this replenishing of the earth's veins and come forth. Okay. I have never I heard mean, that about tracks. that, but that is a really interesting way to think about like water levels. Yeah. That's cool. A person who has scrofula should gather a sufficient amount of earthworms, oh no, when they come out due to rainfall. He should place them on a shard or in a clay pot and expose them to the smoke of barley straw until they die. He should add wheat flour and vigorously mix it with oak wood. He should then add a little wine and vinegar of equal measure, mix it, and make a paste. Before the scrofula has ruptured, he should put this paste over it for three days. 
The cleanliness of these clean worms will lessen the uncleanliness of his flesh, and the scrofula will be unable to stay there any longer. If the scrofula has already ruptured, dip the paste prepared as mentioned in very harsh lye, that sounds like a terrible idea, and place it over mm -hmm. the broken scrofula. This will heal it, carrying away the rotten matter. I think the lye will definitely eat away the rotten flesh. Well, yeah, we'll do that. <laughs> One who ails in his stomach should place oh no should place the dung of the earthworm heated over broken pottery as described on his stomach. If he does this often, his stomach will be purged and lightened. If you are unable to have earthworms when you could have them easily, and if it does not rain so that they do not come out of the ground, then seek them, digging in a damp place, and make the above-mentioned medicines with them. These medicines are much more useful if the earthworms have come out on their own in a rain shower. I like the drama you give these. <laughs> Seek, Seek the earthworms! <laughs> if you can't find your own earthworms, locally harvest it is fine. There you go. Alright, there's one more. The right. snail or slug. Doesn't specify. A slug is just a homeless snail. I suppose. The snail that is in a shell moves on top of the earth. It has a cold nature. The snail that does not have a good shell, or that does not have a shell, is not much good for medicine. If vermin are eating a person, that's a terrifying sentence. I assume that means, like, parasites or something, not like, if a person is being eaten by rats in front of you. I guess. I don't, I don't like, I just don't like that phrase at all. But anyway, if vermin are eating a person, he should take the snail, no. Maybe like lice. Maybe lice, yeah. Let me just start this over. If vermin are eating a person, he should take the shell of a snail, reduce it to a powder, and throw this powder on the place where the vermin are eating him. They will die, and he will be healed. The snail that does not have a shell is cold and almost as useful for the same medicine if you prepare it as described for the earthworm, although medicine made from earthworms is much better and stronger than made from slugs. When you are unable to have earthworms, prepare the described medicines from the slugs, even though they will be weaker. The person who uses these, as mentioned, will be cured. All and right. thus concludes the reptile portion of Hildegard's Physica. Broad definition of reptile, I see. Very broad. I like that there's a ranking of what kind of reptiles to use. Like, fresh earthworms after a rain are the best kind of earthworms. Then slugs. Mm -hmm. But if you can't find either one of those, then dig and find earthworms. And you have different levels of potency. Yeah. And we're definitely getting them in order of like chain of being. Kind Absolutely. Of we started with dragons yes. and we ended on we slugs. We ended on slugs. It's going all the way down. Yeah. Go figure. These are so interesting. I'm going to be thinking about veins of the earth all day. Like, you know, you've heard of like veins of metal, you know, like a vein of gold or a vein of mm -hmm. copper. Well, I guess not copper, because you create copper, but a vein of gold or a vein of iron. But you don't really hear about veins of water in the earth that come yeah, out. That's a good it's, phrase. It's, it's nice. It's nice. There's a, a really good campaign setting called Veins of the Ooh, Earth, actually. Ooh, it does sound good. It's about, uh, well, obviously very deep underground exploration. That's cool. I recommend yeah, it. Yeah, there we go. All right. I think that's all for this week. Covered Perla's Valve. Yeah, so. We covered... Hildegard and her weird reptiles. If you try any of those cures, please don't do the ones that kill living creatures. Yes. Don't suffocate any frogs. I can't believe I have to say that. Just just put a live frog on your gout. Just, you yes, know, give him a little go. strawberry and, and he'll stay there. <laughs> I just broke Mac. He's gone. 
I don't know. What else do you? What else would you give a a frog? <laughs> what do frogs eat? What are frogs? Reptiles. Insects, I think, classically. They're insects. You know, They're they, reptiles. They shoot out their tongues and they get the flies. Oh yeah, I guess. Uh, yeah, they would eat. They would eat insects. I don't know. Anyway, please don't harm living creatures to try these remedies. If you find yes. an already dead earthworm, I guess you could try it. Let us know. I endorse this. Do not kill living creatures for no, movies. No, don't do that. Not unnecessarily, please. Anyway. <laughs> there we go. More perilous vows. Alright, I think that covers it. Yeah, I think that's the place to end. Alright, there we go. Thank you for listening to the Maniculum Podcast. Please consider leaving a rating and review on iTunes to help support us. If you're interested in exclusive merch and continuous exclusive content, consider becoming a patron on Patreon. To see our sources and our notes, you can check out our blog, Marginalia, at themaniculumpodcast.com. You can also join our Facebook group, The Maniculum Podcast, for more medieval and geeky-related discussions. And feel free to reach out. We are always excited to listen to you guys and hear what you have to say. We're on Twitter, at Maniculum, and we're on Instagram, at Maniculum Podcast. Special thanks to Sandra Boyle for creating our music. You can check out their project, Sugar Glass, on Spotify. Remember, he's French. He's French? Oh, no. Oh, no. Okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, oui, oui, baguette. Uh... <laughs>